Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Riley Keough was born in Santa Monica, California, and began modeling for high-end brands like Dolce & Gabbana and Christian Dior at 15 years old. Riley made the leap from the runway to the big screen when she made her acting debut in The Runaways. She later had her breakthrough performance in the Stars hit series, The Girlfriend Experience. On this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, Riley Keough reflects on what it's like having Elvis Presley in her family tree, her new movie Zola, and becoming a death doula. Hey, Riley. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm great. How are you? You know, I'm good. I'm glad summertime is here. I needed summer. Are you in L.A.? I wish I was. I was in L.A. last week. I'm in the Bay Area this week. Oh, wow. That's nice. Yeah. Where are you? I'm in L.A. I'm I'm right in the middle of L.A. (laughs) Ah, born. Are are you born and raised? Are you one of the few, the proud? Are you an Angelino? I was born in Santa Monica and raised in between California, Florida, and Hawaii. Like, I kind of moved around past three places. Oh, so you're a warm-weather-only person. I am. I, I, I like, I cannot handle the cold. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. So I grew up in Miami, and then I moved to California. My mom used to say that I was, like, on a westward tour. She said I was going to Hawaii next, then to Bali, and she would never see me. So she assumed I was just going to keep going to the good weather. So, uh, so I, I can relate to, uh, to you choosing those three places. Totally. Um, now we, why Florida and where in Florida were you? So we lived, um, we lived kind of by Tampa actually, um, for a little while when I was a kid, um, we had family there. My mom moved there after getting a divorce and we were kind of there for a minute. It was kind of like an interim thing for her. And, then um, we were at school there, and so there was kind of like we ended up staying longer than we planned, and then went back to California. So it was kind of like California, Florida, back to California, and then um, and then Hawaii was just um, since I was a kid, my mom loved it there, so we bought a house there, and so I grew up, you know, maybe in California or Hawaii, depending on what what we were doing. Which island in Hawaii? Uh, the Big Island. And, and, you know, I've, I haven't been to Hawaii in a long time, but I was saying to people that when I used to go, I loved it because it felt like the one place that was okay to do nothing. Not yeah. that that's, not that you only could do nothing, but that it was okay if you did nothing, that it was relaxed in that way. Different. It's called island time. It's like you're on your own time. There's no, you know, that city sort of anxious rushing. It doesn't exist there, which is really, I think, nice for people's spirits to be able to you know, have that space sometimes. Do you think you could live in Hawaii or live anywhere on kind of an island like that? Are you, are you an island girl? Do you think you have that in you? I'd like to think so. I think that, you know, as I get older, especially, I am more drawn towards living in here and um, living out of 
of cities, I'm really sensitive. So I'm very sensitive to um, like energy and like a lot of like, I could never live in New York, for example. Um, and I, I like quiet. I like, I like small town. I like that kind of uh, thing. So I could def- I think I could definitely like live in Hawaii. Oh, interesting. Do you think you're a country girl? Do, could you live in the countryside, do you think? Yeah. Live on a farm. I could live. I could live. You know, I'm, not, I'm saying this, but I've never done it. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It'll, it'll sound good for the first two days. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, Carlos, get me out of here. <laughs> I might completely change my mind. But I think I like the idea of it. You know, I'm moving. I'm in the process right now of moving out of L.A into a smaller town. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully I survive. Well, wow. Yeah, I, I wonder, my mom grew up in a small town and so did my dad. And I, I used, we used to go back and visit both of those small towns. And I could do it for a little bit. I don't know if I could do it for a lot of it. Um, I want, it's kind of like what you're saying, I want to think I could. Totally, I think too. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you totally can romanticize it a little bit. Yeah, I think the ideal situation for me would be to live somewhere that's not really far from the city, like an hour or two outside the city and come in and go and that kind of a thing. That's, that's what I want. And what about overseas? Have you ever spent time overseas or would you ever want to live overseas? I actually lived in England as well. So I lived in England um, my mom moved over there when I was 19 and we lived there um, for about four years, I think. So we had a house in the countryside of England. And at the time I, I lived with my mom until, my, my mom until I was 25. So, <laughs> so I, I was living with her in England. For some reason I have in mind your mom, this is almost like a metaphor, but I have in mind her of like a basketball player. And where she's this wild dribbler, and sometimes she's pulling up from England and shooting a shot. Sometimes she's coming in close from LA. Sometimes she's going to take a minute from the corner in Florida. Sometimes she's going to be over here in Hawaii. But I, I don't know why. I have this image of her as kind of this short, fast point guard. I don't know why I'm putting that on your mom. But when I hear all these places and her willingness to try new situations, she feels like someone who's very fluid. He was fluid, and I think she definitely liked uh, adventures and, and kind of often moving to a different place. Like she liked likes that, and I kind of like that now too. I think we moved around so much growing up that I I definitely get antsy when I'm in one place for too long and um, live somewhere else. And how how do you feel about the spotlight? Because not only Obviously, to some extent, you, you must be okay with it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be an actor and, and you wouldn't have been a model and you would have done all the things that you've done. But, but, but do, you, do you enjoy it? Like there are people like Chelsea Handler who told me like the first time I saw a stage and a mic, I was like, yep, I want to be on that. I want to be all in that. And then there are other people who surprised me a little bit who said they were kind of introverts. And like, I don't know if you know who Maggie Siff is, but, you know, she's been in a lot of stuff, including Billions. And I remember her saying like, you know, it took me a while to decide that I wanted to do acting, even though she was the daughter of a um, of an acting teacher. But it really took her into kind of her early 30s before she finally decided, I'm going to, like, do this for real. Where are you? Have you have you liked the spotlight, given your family has, has been as successful as they've been? Or, like, how, how, have you, how are you related to uh, the spotlight and being on the stage? Yeah, I think um, – I think – I grew up in it, so it's definitely not, it's, it's something that's not uncomfortable for me. Um, you know, when I was a kid, it was kind of the height of my mom's fame. So it was like a very intense experience. And I had probably similar to like what the Kardashians kids will kind of grow up with. Like it was that, it was very everywhere all the time, like paparazzi and going to school and having, you know, security and like it was very intense. And so I don't, it's not something I'm uncomfortable in um, because I've had it my whole life. So I'm not, um, I'm fine with it. I don't, I, it's not something I necessarily like. Uh, I like, I like performing. I like acting, but I don't, 
I'm not, um, it's not something I would like chase after. I don't, I don't, I'm not like a ham. I don't like, you know, I'm not, I don't love attention on me. I'm, I am more of an introvert probably. Interesting. What, 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 did, did all of that stuff change you in any way? Like when you look back on it, did all of that spotlight at an early age change you good, bad, or just maybe just, just change you? Yeah. I, it's so hard to know because I don't know any other life. So I, I don't know what I would have been like, like had I not had that experience. But I think that um, it's definitely taken a long time for me to even recognize that it's a weird circumstance. You know, like it's so normalized for me that only now sort of in my 30s am I going, yeah, that was not, you know, that was definitely a strange upbringing, you know. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what I would have been like had I not, you know, had that from the job. And, and what about your mom? What happened as, I mean, because as you said, lots of people aren't in the spotlight or most people aren't. Some people are in the spotlight intensely for a while and then it calms down. How was she once it subsided? Like, is she okay with it being gone or does she actually miss it? And she's like, I think that you she know. was kind of her relationship with it was much more, uh, uh, was more difficult. I think that it was something she didn't want. I think that it was also a time where tabloids were really horrible. Like they still are, but it's, that's sort of getting a little better. People don't, you know, that there's like really trash magazines now, but then there's, it's kind of not okay to say the things that would, would have been said about a woman when, when she was kind of experiencing that. And I think that her, um, a lot of people who from, you know, anywhere before probably around 2015 would have had a really hard relationship with the tabloids, I think. Um, and, you know, it's like when you go back and watch old interviews of these girls, like from, I don't know, 15 years ago, even it's the things that they're being asked and it's just really crazy now in, in hindsight, you know? And so I think she was in a way bullied kind of. Um, and so I think that for her, it was kind of like, she did not like it. She did not, you know, she was really kind of, you know, she had cameras in her face from birth. And I think she was very, uh, and, and no boundaries and just kind of like, um, I think, I think it was a, a more disturbing experience for her. And I think it was something she really didn't want. So now I think she definitely would enjoy more quiet, more peace, more, less, you know, less press that that's something she kind of wanted her her whole life I think wow wow and and where do you feel like you are in your career now do you feel like because from the outside it feels like you might be at a tipping point it feels like like you've built up this good set of work and I it, it I can feel some lift off is that is that how it feels from the person who's actually living that life or or how does it how does it feel for you it's so hard to tell because you know, it's, you know, I've been doing it for this for a while and it all depends on like what movie you're doing when, and it's so random, you know, and some films have so much hype around them and then you do a couple that don't and it's always changing. And I think that I feel like I'm with this film in particular, I feel, I can feel that people are really excited for it. And that's different. You know, I think that there's a a sense of hype around it that's different to um, the last, I don't know, five, 10 films I've done. And, and I think that for whatever reason, this will, it just like energetically and spiritually was the time for this to come out. And I think that that um, that's exciting. And um, I think in terms of my work, I'm feeling I'm feeling like I'm in a really interesting place where I'm kind of growing up and the kind of things I want to do are changing. And so there's this shift out of sort of being a, you know, child internally to a more uh, grown up, you know, spirit. (laughs) And that's, you know, that's happening. So there's, yeah, it's weird. It's, It's a weird, it's an interesting time. Well, and what is it, what does it mean for you to grow up? Because it's funny. I've been I've been both thinking about this myself, but also having conversations with a lot of people about the last year, year and a half, and 
even though it was clearly globally significant, like has it changed us individually? And if so, how? When you think about growing up, is it really the last year, year and a half, or has it been even a longer window than that in which you've started to feel kind of major changes? I think like I've always been looking to better myself and to work on myself. And I, but I think that during the pandemic, I had that opportunity because like so many people were in this like hamster wheel of just like, go, go, go. And you don't have the time to really give, uh, to really, to give yourself to make these sort of profound internal changes that are necessary and, or, you know, really work on things and look at things and sit with yourself. And so I definitely think the last, in the last year, I've also gone through grief and really intense. I've had a wild, wildly crazy year. And I, within that though, I've had a lot of time that I didn't have to be working that I could, you know, sit and, and, uh, uh, grow or work on myself or whatever you want to call it. And I think that, uh, in that way, I I don't like the term growing up because I feel like there's, I don't like, I think being a childlike is really important, you know? And I think that that sort of childlike wonder and, uh, uh, love is like kind of the goal. So I don't, I, so it's more like, um, remembering who you are, (laughs) you know? Um, and just being in a new state of mind, I, I suppose. But yeah, I think it definitely in the last year, I've, I've changed a lot. I've, I've had the opportunity to. I, I love what you just said about appreciating that kind of wonder and not letting that go and being able to think about it that way. And honestly, I don't feel like many people would say that, even if part of their spirit does feel that. I think that for whatever combination of reasons, they don't think that's what they're supposed to say. So they would just go forward and say, grow up and yada, yada, yada. Why do you think you've gotten to a place where you're able to say what you just said, which is that part of who I want to retain a childlike part of who I am. I want to wonder and discover and remember and, 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 and have that kind of magic. What about who you are or growing up has allowed you to in my mind, get to a, a pretty evolved place. Yeah, I think life and all of the the traumas and suffering and beauty and um, love that comes along with it is sort of an opportunity for growth. And I think that you, you kind of can't expand without those things. And I think, um, I think, you know, when you look at children, like when you look at joy, it's people who are liberated and feel free and a lot of children and children, you know, like when I look at children, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I miss that feeling. I miss the feeling of looking at like a a plant and thinking it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, you know? And surely that's the right way to look at life, you know, like surely we're, and you get so jaded and you're so used to these things. And, um, and I, I could see that happening in my acting. I think that happens in all areas of life. Your marriage, you're, you're kind of, you take everything for granted. And I think the way that children are able to, you know, find beauty and uh, uh, interest in the most simple things is something I really, I feel in my heart is the right um, direction to go in. And yeah, it just feels instinctually that feels like, like, something that I need, I, that I, you know, I, I really, the more present you are, I think too, um, you know, we grow up and we have all of these, like, we're this sort of blank slate. And then we have all these experiences and tell ourselves all these stories and sort of begin like limiting ourselves. And I think for me, like undoing that is, is kind of what feels right. And that, so being childlike is kind of the closest thing I could think of to that. You know, I, I love that, and I, I love so much about that. I was talking earlier to someone who has a young son, and he said his son asked him a great question the other day, which is, why is the sun so bright? And that's that's kind of what you're saying, or a version of what you're saying, which is still remembering that and seeing that and seeing that for what it is, and that's interesting to hear you apply that across relationships and work and what have you. I was talking to another actor, Naveed Negaban, uh, who you probably have seen in Homeland and lots of other things. And he was talking about 
how much he struggled to become an actor. Uh, he grew up in Iran and moved to Germany, and it was a real struggle, came to the United States and made it, but then lost that love and what he had to do to recapture it and to remember, um, you know, how much joy it was. And so there probably is something to kind of having a regular replenishing, you know, almost kind of like building that in to who you are, knowing that life can kind of fill up your tanks and you may have to, to kind of reset them or reboot them. Um, yeah, and it's not easy, you know, to like not be take things for granted. I think, and to um, like for me, it, it took a series of uh, horrible things, you know, to be able to really be present and kind of appreciate the little things. And I think it's it's a real shame in life how you know loss or tragedy or trauma, these things can really like shift you. But at the same time, I think, you know, I'd like to think that there's a purpose for all of these things, you know? So I don't know. I, I'm, you know, I think that I, I, when I'm able to be grateful uh, for every day and sort of, you know, every moment as best I can, I feel the best, you know, and it feels like I'm not wasting my life. So I, I'm definitely, you know, Trying. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what are your favorite songs? What songs do you sing when no one's around or maybe when everyone's around? What do you, are, are you, are you one of those people who sing out loud? And if you do, what do you sing? I, I do sing a lot. It's weird. I'm okay. So like, I was never a singer. Like I'd always sing, um, songs like with 
people on a guitar or like I sing like softly through whatever, but I never had really like sang or explored my voice before until this show that I'm about to start um, called Daisy Jones and the Six, which was based off of this book. And she's a singer. And so now I've been singing a lot and it's, it's, I love singing. Like, it's really like, I'm not, you know, I'm not amazing at it. I just started a couple of years ago, but I, it's just, yeah, it's, it's such a, once you kind of start, you can't, you can't stop. All right. What's your, uh, what's your karaoke song? My karaoke song. I don't know. Cause I feel like people do karaoke when they're like really drunk and, <laughs> and like want to scream something like journey. I think like I think the last time I did karaoke I sang like Killing Me Softly probably with a bunch of girls like yelling it (laughs) (laughs) okay and and what were you drinking I don't really drink alcohol anymore but I was probably drinking alcohol at that time (laughs) <laughs> and what's a, what's your what's what's your um, because I'm one I, I sing in the, I'm I'm a sing in the shower and I'm a kind of sing out loud person kind of probably shouldn't be but I am um, so what kind of songs when you're not doing karaoke but you're just singing to yourself what kind of songs do you sing I like singing like I like singing like folk or country and like like Towns Van Sant like that kind of a thing like it's random but like that's what I like singing. <laughs> um, uh, that's like my husband plays guitar and that's kind of like what we'll sing around the house. Nice. Nice. And how did you guys meet? We met on Mad Max Fury Road. We were filming and my husband was a stunt guy. And, um, we met, we met during the, while we were shooting, but then we actually started dating a year later. We did reshoots in Australia and we, we re-met and then fell in love. Now, did you have your eye on him originally, or did it did it take a second take? I, I did not have my eye on him at all. I like he looked really young and kind of weird, and I remember like I I knew who he was, but I wasn't at all thinking like that. And I was dating somebody else at the time, and um, I I I in my mind he was kind of this like young kid that hung out with the like younger stunt guys, and I didn't I did barely you know knew him. And then a year later, I remember it was like a smaller crew and he walked in and he looked so different and he looked like he'd really grown up and he was like really muscly and like just felt more mature. I was like, wow, like, I don't remember Ben being like that. And then um, we, I was kind of going, I was in Australia for the reshoots and then I was just going to stay there for two months because I was thinking, when else am I going to go to Australia? And so I got his email and I was like, you know, or he came up to me and was like, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And um, he was like, I've been doing music. I'll send you my music. And I was like, cool. And then I, he sent me an email and then I wrote him back and was kind of like, hey, I'm going to be in Australia for a couple months. Like, will you teach me to surf? Which is the funniest thing now because I will not get an Odin. Like, I, I am terrified of sharks. <laughs> so, like, I would never, ever uh, go surfing. It was kind of like a very obvious, it's a, it's a funny thing we joke about a lot now because I won't, I won't even like watch him surf now, but in the beginning, I was like, <laughs> but, 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 but young Ben had become mature Ben and had won you over. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Now, when, when was the first time, I love talking about love on the show. Um, uh, when was the first time you realized you loved him? Okay, this is crazy. So we met or we re-met. And then we hung out for like a couple of a week. And I just, I don't know, like we like very clearly fell in love very quickly. And then I was supposed to go home and I, um, he asked me to go on a road trip with him. And so this was probably like a week into us dating and we were driving up to his family where his family lives in Australia and he went into a gas station to get something. And I was outside having a coffee. And I remember he walked out and I just had this like premonition. I was like, that's the father of my kids. Like, I just knew it. It was so weird. And, and we'd it'd only been a few days. We hadn't said, I love you. We weren't even officially boyfriend, girlfriend. Like, and I just like knew that that was the father of my kids. And I, and it was so weird. 
Um, and then we got in the car and then I think we said, I love you maybe a week after that. So I knew I loved him then. And then probably two weeks in, we said, I love you. All right. Well, I'm, I'm liking Mr. Ben. I haven't even met him yet, but, but, but I'm liking Mr. Ben. He sounds, uh, he sounds like a good dude and he's Australian. He is. Yeah. So the Aussies, I found that the Aussies are one of the three or four uh, friendliest people in the world. The Aussies, the Ghanaians, the Dutch, the Colombians, the Brazilians, all those are nice, friendly uh, uh, people, good people. I totally agree. And I think, like, I really love being there. And I think that's partially why, like, everyone's, everyone to me feels, like, much nicer and much more just kind of wholesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, where have I been? I've been to, I've been to Sydney and Melbourne. I've been to Byron Bay. Uh, yes, Byron Bay. Oh, is he? Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, then that's everything I need to know about him. He's definitely a, uh, he's definitely a chill guy. That's, uh, Byron Bay. I tried to surf actually. And, uh, and, and they tried to send me out of the country. I was so bad at it. So, so I'm sure he's, uh, I'm sure he's better than I am. But I had a, I had a nice time in Byron Bay. We met very nice people. And, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a good place. So how did Zola come along? Because that is, you know, when I saw your and Taylor's picture and the, the thing they, they have there, kind of the poster that also, I think is probably part of the heat that it's, it's interesting to see you two there and it makes you wonder like what's going on. And, and I also think Zola is a good name for whatever that's worth. And, um, uh, just like I think, uh, Riley's a good name. And I think Taylor, especially the way she spells it is a, uh, uh, is a good name, but, but, but how did you come into the project? How did that happen? Um, I was in Toronto at the film festival and I was in the lobby and my agent basically said that, that there, she was talking to somebody and there's a film called Zola based off of the Twitter thread that, um, they're going to send to you to read. And I had read the Twitter thread in 2015, like live when that viral thing happened. So I knew what, what she was talking about and, um, so they sent me the script and I read it and, um, I just thought it was genius and I thought it was really incredible how she adapted, uh, how they adapted a, a Twitter thread, how they turned it into a script and the way they did it and how it was just, it felt like you were reading this like modern stage play. I hadn't read writing like it and that's Janixa Bravo and Jeremy O'Harris and just their, their genius that, you know, they but um so I read the script and after that I was kind of like if this is if this is what they're they've written surely they're geniuses and surely I want to do this movie so um then I just met with her and we sat down and talked about it and um I just yeah I, lo- I loved it and thought it was wild all right for those who don't know uh uh about the viral uh, uh twitter thread Give them the short, give them the, give them the 30 seconds, what it's all about. It's about a girl from Detroit who dances, uh, who's a stripper, who's working at a restaurant, meets a girl, and asks her to go on a trip with her, tells her she's going to make her a bunch of money, that they're going to have an amazing weekend, and it ends up being this sort of horrible train wreck of a weekend. And a lot of horrific things happen. And now, interesting, why did you say dances first before you said stripper? Um, I don't know, because I think when I meet strippers, they usually say I'm a dancer. So I kind of was using the language that I've heard um, in that space, I, I guess. And now, when you were prepping for it, did you talk to many dancers? So I've played a stripper. This would be my third time, actually. So I've I had previously spent a lot of time in strip clubs and and doing pole dancing i had done it before and i wasn't great at it but i definitely had been uh i've been in that space before and i I know i think i've done some a, a bunch of research and but with this one there was kind of this direction in this in the stage direction that said that stephanie my character wasn't very good so I kind of leaned into that and, and <laughs> decided not to do any lessons or, you know, get, get better. Now, why do you think the people keep tabbing you as a stripper? I don't know. I keep getting stripper, like, uh, like white trash, like all this stuff. I, I, it's like a, it's a real thing. People think, I guess, I, I guess I'm good at it. You know, I guess 
I guess I've done a good job. And I feel like when you do a good job at something, people just want you to keep doing it. So, but I have to say, we have been different variations of, you know, these things, which has been fun. All right. Now, if you could take on any role, if I just said to you, okay, Riley, you've killed it. You've done a great job. Now, you know, you tell me the next three roles you would love. What would be an example of kind of role you would love or a couple roles that would make you smile? What would you, what would you love to do? I think I'm in the mood at the moment to do things that are like a little less serious. Like I'm, I've done, I've done a lot of very serious work and I'm, I'm as a person, not like that. So I think I'm kind of in the mood to like do things that aren't as dark and serious at the moment, but it's always changing. It's like, I'll have years where I really want to do serious stuff. And then I want to do, you know, something lighter. And at the moment, I'm definitely more interested in doing things that aren't as intense. All right. Now are you think in romantic comedy, are you thinking straight up comedy? Like, like who are, I would, both. Okay. I would do a romantic comedy or a comedy. If I'm good at it, we'll see. I'll try it. We have now, who's your favorite stand-up comedian? Who uh, who makes you laugh? What kind of comedy do you like? Oh my gosh, that's really hard. Um, I like I like dark comedy. Probably, um, I like. It's funny because Janix's sense of humor um, is really similar to mine, and so like when I when I saw her first film. And then read the script. I was like, oh my gosh, like there's somebody that has my sense of humor. Like Janix the Bravo <laughs> has like, like <laughs> I'm so blessed to get to work with her. Um, but I, I, I laugh a lot. I like, I, I'm easy. I'm an easy, easy laugher. Dave Chappelle, would Dave Chappelle get your number? Definitely. Dave Chappelle. A- Amy Schumer. I like Amy Schumer as well. I'm pretty, like, I laugh a lot. Like, put on any comedy special and I'm, I'll be laughing for sure. I'm, now, would you be willing to be roasted? You know those roasts that they do. Would you? Would you be good? Yeah, I love. I love. I love being roasted. I would love being roasted. Who would you love to have roast you? Who do you? Who do you want to have roast you? Oh my gosh! Um, can it be like someone that's not in comedy? Yeah, totally. Anyone you want. Um, who would I love to have roast? I would love Nicole Kidman to roast me. That's a good call. That's a good call. Down under. Okay. Okay. My childhood idol. That would be pretty cool. Oh, that's interesting that she was your childhood idol. Okay. Oh, I like that. And why? Why was she your childhood idol? What what made you become a fan? Um, okay, so when I was twelve, I think, Moulin Rouge came out. And that movie was so impactful for me like I when I that was the first movie I saw I can remember being like so uh emotionally affected by as a like as my emotions were kind of developing that was kind of the first experience I had with like tragedy and death and this crazy wild performance and this theatrical experience and I really was at that age where I could I could kind of hang like I wasn't a kid anymore and I, I was kind of growing you know whatever and it just, for whatever reason, she was, I just loved her so much in that film and, and him, like, I just like, it, it was the right moment in the right time. And it, that was, I remember being like, this is what I want to do, you know? And for sure, I already knew I wanted to do that, but I remember watching that movie and having this experience, like, this is, I want to, I want to do that. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what's it like... uh uh, having Elvis in your family because he's so penetrated global culture that people, I mean, there aren't many people who people refer to by like one name and uh, and who are still, you know, ricochet across culture and everything long after they've passed. And so, but this is like an actual family member. It's your grandfather. Like, but but, you know, he passed away before you were born, I think. Is that right? So do you have, does he just seem like a far off figure to you? Does he seem like a real person? Like, like, how do you, how do you, you know, think about Elvis Presley? I think about him and it's definitely emotional. Um, Growing up, it was definitely, you know, it was my mother's father and there was like loss and grief around that for her and you know, she would show me, show us music and we'd go to Memphis and go to Graceland. And, you know, it was definitely a very, uh, apparent grief for her. So that it was kind of, I had this sort of, when I'd hear his music still, or, or see him, it was this sort of, Oh, my mother's heartbroken because of this, you know? So there was that kind of, that kind of a thing. Um, and it felt like family, you know, it was her dad. She was in the same way you'd hear stories about your grandfather. Like we would have that growing up. And so there was a sense of, I think, tragedy, um, around it. And also, um, you know, it's definitely, I'm used to it. It's, it's it, I'm also used to the, how big it is. Cause I kind of grew up with that as well. So yeah, but, but definitely there's, um, an emotional connection there. Um, and that that still exists. Huh. What, 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 you know, it's, again, I'm always taken by scenarios where, you know, what we on the outside can know are very different than, as you said, your mom has not just memories, but, but emotion, love, you said grief missing. Anything she said about, I even hate to even call him Elvis because it's weird saying that to his granddaughter, calling him Elvis, like I know him, but, um, but is there anything that you've learned about him that most of us don't know or wouldn't think about when they think about Elvis that you think about when, when you think about him? I think like the joy that comes over like my grandmother or my mother's or his family's face when they're talking about him really tells me how special he was. Um, it's like, and obviously I feel like when you sort of, 
end up in a situation where you're that kind of epic, there must be some kind of light in you, you know? And I think that the way that I see them talk about him and the stories I hear and the things he would do and the love that was in his heart, I think people get that idea, but I really, I really get that from my mother and from my grandmother and my, the rest of my family and his friends. Um, I think people know this, but you know, that he was just this like Southern boy that ended up in this situation that was like way bigger than him. And the sort of humanity there that he was just sort of this like kid, you know, that was, that was thrown into this situation. Um, that's very apparent to me, um, through, through my family. Um, and just his essence, I think, I think I really get a strong sense of like what he was really like as a, as a person and his kindness, his heart. That's such a good thing to draw on. And it's interesting what you say about thinking about he's more personalized. I remember I had a moment, I worked at a grocery store growing up. You probably remember Publix's from your time in, in Florida. And I worked at Publix where shopping is a pleasure. And I used to be one of the bag boys. And I remember this woman came in one day and she had four kids and they were running around. They were all over the place. And I kept thinking, I know her from somewhere. I know her from somewhere. And as I put away her bags, she had big station wagons. I put away her bags. I realized this wasn't exactly true, but she was my mom. I mean, meaning that she was kind of reminded me of my mom with four of us and namely me running, pulling stuff off the shelves and all the stuff going on. And I remembered that was the first time I really had my mom or my dad humanized, where you didn't just think of them as your mom or your dad, but you realize, man, you know, that must not be fun you know, to be at the uh, grocery store and to have these kids running around and doing all that. And so, um, so I think that's that's probably a blessing that that whatever your mom and your grandma have done that they've allowed you to, you know, have some sense of him beyond. Um, you know, just an icon, which, which obviously he is as well. So, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm glad that I'm able to have that relationship with other, you know, having not never had met him, um, that I can sort of feel his presence through them and their you know, stories and stuff. Um, Riley, I love to do this thing. Sometimes I call rapid fire where I ask a kind of whole beautiful mishmash of questions. Do you mind if I throw a variety of things at you? I have to answer really quickly. <laughs> if you want to, if you can, if not, that's okay too. Yep. Okay. Your favorite movie of all time. Oh, I hate this question. I never can pick one. I can I can't. I don't think I can pick one. I give up. I'll give you I'll, I'll give you a couple. You you doesn't have to be your favorite. You can give me a couple that you've really liked. Okay. Um I really uh who I I'll give you movies that sort of like had a really uh, prolific, had a really like strong effect on me growing up when I saw them. Doesn't mean that I like watch them all the time now, but when I saw them, it was like an epic kind of moment in my life. Um, the first one would be Itu Mama Tambien. Wow. Little Gabriel, uh, uh, what was his last name again? Uh, Bernal or, uh, yeah. Oh, ooh, that was, that was a fire choice. That's a great choice. You came out of the gate with a good one. Okay. That one. I was, I just, it was kind of like one of the earlier experiences I had with like independent cinema and that was, it just, I just loved, I just loved it. Um, Moulin Rouge was another one for me. I, that was my sort of 12 year old, like, you know, thing. Um, Paris, Texas. That's another film I, I love. Um, hmm, there's so many. Uh, I have a list. The cool thing about Zoom. Okay. Oh, the Pan Pan's Labyrinth. I love that movie. Nice. Um, The Handmaiden, that Korean film. Great film. Um. And then there's a film called Embrace of the Serpent. This is a list I just made for my friends, like Instagram page. I'm reading off of it, but um, so, so those are, those movies all kind of are ones that uh, affected me the first time I saw them. You know. Um, when do you think you'll direct your first film? I have. I already directed it, and it's not out yet. So prayers to me. 
Okay, it's coming. I can tell. I can tell the way you, you talk about film that that's coming. Uh, your favorite book or one of your favorite books of all time? Oh, my gosh. That is also hard. I There's this book called The Master and Margarita that my dad made me read when I was a kid. And it was kind of the first like big book that I ever finished. And that experience was kind of like, you know, when you finish this kind of big novel and you're like, wow. And you're like, I don't know, 13 or something. Um, so that one stands out in my mind. Um, Daisy Jones and the Six. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. Um, yeah, that's probably my favorite book. Okay. I'm going to take that. Um, most interesting thing that happened to you while modeling. Oh, um, probably, hmm, oh, I one time was doing a photo shoot, and we were pulling up to this building. This wasn't while modeling, but it was right before I was about to start a photo shoot. And this guy, um, he did something, like, really pervy outside the window. I would have been, like, 16 or something, and I think he, like, did some kind of sexual, like, thing to me, and I flipped him off. And I got, and then we drove and like, I thought he was far behind us. And I got out of the car and a soup can came flying at my head. And I turned around and this guy, the guy I flipped off was like running down the street, screaming at me. And so I just like run into the elevator. My dad was in the hotel. So I get in the elevator and my, I'm like, dad, like this guy's trying to like, attack me. And my dad's like there. And then the guy starts like coming into the elevator. And my dad and this other guy are like pushing him out. And I'm like trying to like shut the button and they're all screaming at each other. And it was this whole scary drama because I flipped this guy off. But um, that was probably the, the craziest thing that happened to me while modeling. Okay. Drama like that. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone, dead or alive, who would you love to have dinner with? Wow. Jesus. Nice. Okay. Okay. Little Jesus. Christ. And what are, what are you guys eating? What are you serving? Like in and out. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. I don't, even, I don't, even, I don't even eat meat. Um, I just want to be funny. Um, uh, what are we eating? Probably something vegan because I don't eat meat. Okay, okay. Best vegan restaurant you've ever been to? Oh, that's hard. Um, there's a place called Little Pine I like. Um, Crossroads in Hollywood. Um, um, there's a place called Honeybee, and they make vegan burgers, and they're great in L.A. Are you a massage kale girl? Yes or no? I mean, I'll eat kale, but can I tell you there's this thing in kale that like everyone just ignores, which is that like there's always caterpillars in it. And it really disturbs me. And when you get kale from a market or from a garden, there's always caterpillars in it and people don't notice. And then I think just like cook it and eat the caterpillars. So I can't really get down with that. So kale is probably not my first choice. I think like spinach might be. Spinach is better. Uh, last time you were scared. Oh, last time I was scared. I think the other night I was. It came home really late, and I don't know. Sometimes being a woman walking late at night alone can be scary. I think that was probably it. Um, uh, the most excited you've ever been to meet another celebrity. Uh, <laughs> um. So when I was a teenager, I met. Uh, I met Nicole Kidman and Mick Jagger at the same party. And it was kind of like at the height of my Nicole Kidman thing. And also at the time I was going through this like 60s, 70s rock and roll phase. So I was like very overwhelmed by both of them. But I still, there's people all the time that I get like, you know, nervous around for sure. I get, I get. All right. Your most unexpected celebrity friendship. Unexpected celebrity friendship. I'll tell you, it's Dakota Johnston, and it's unexpected because I didn't expect it to be a celebrity friendship because it was just my childhood friendship. <laughs> and what was she, what was she like as a, as a uh, as a youngster? Um, we were, you know, I think we were both pretty cool. Um, we we would hang out in LA. We had cool boyfriends and bands, and you know, it was very like kind of teenagery. I guess it was it was fun. We, we, we've been friends since we were, I think, 15. Wow. 
All right, if the modeling acting career had not taken off, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Wow. Um, I'd probably be like a monk, to be honest, I think. Or like uh, uh, in something, in some kind of, well, like I'm a, I'm a, I just became like a certified death doula. I might do that, but maybe I would like sort of uh, dedicate my life more to that kind of a thing. I think something, something spiritual probably. Um, a mom, like raised children. Um, what is a what is a death doula if you don't mind me asking what's what's a death doula a death doula is it's basically like this a similar concept to like a doula that someone's a birth doula and it's somebody there to sort of support uh support somebody through the dying process and that can be from like a terminal illness diagnosis through death or it can be a couple of days before the dying process, it can be uh, an accident. Like it, it, there's different different versions of what that can look like, but it's the same. It's a similar thing essentially to a birthing doula, but it's like a emotional, spiritual kind of support through the dying process. What what is um um wow that that's that could really be um profoundly valuable death doula both ways. I both think it could. For the doula, you probably will learn a lot. People probably are sharing a lot uh, there at the end, uh, whether they are saying it or whether you could just sense it. And I bet you the same is true the other way, that you could probably help someone's soul be more at rest as they, yeah. as they, uh, as they think about their... Uh, um, I think it's, for me, like I, I'm, I can only hope that it's helpful and of service um, to other people are going through that process um and for me being of service makes me feel the best, the most fulfilled and it was just something I you know I kind of my fear around death sort of dissipated over the past year and and my um I kind of just had this feeling like I that I could be of service in that area um and I think if you can and you can be there for people through that process that you could be. And for me anyway, that's how I feel. So I'm hoping to be able to, you know, put that into practice and uh, help where I can there for sure. I hope, I hope you, uh, um, I, I'm sure people appreciate you in, uh, uh, in, in doing that. What, what brought you to do that work? Why did you, that's probably, I assume that's unusual for someone your age to be doing that? What brought you to do that? Um, yeah, so I lost my brother in, in 2020. And I think that the lack of resources was really shocking to me and specifically kind of spiritually. And I think if you grow up really religious, there's more, you kind of have, you've got something to hold on to and, 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 and more. And I didn't find, you know, I, Sorry, it's very com- complicated, but I didn't, nothing was making me, nothing was resonating with me. I was, I wasn't, I didn't like the way that Western society sort of uh, shoves, uh, shoves death away. You don't talk about it. I, I was upset that nobody had ever talked to me about it my whole life, that it was just something that happens to you when it happens. And, you know, there's all these books in the store on, you know, birth on marriage on all of these huge uh milestones in life but none on death like maybe they they exist but it's much harder to find and you have to really search for them and i just got frustrated that there that, that um that wasn't available to me and so i just i guess i just wanted to be a service in that area and i found um i then i found out about being a death doula and um it just really spoke to me i guess well, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you do it. Um, um, hey, last two questions for you. Um, Riley, what's the most beautiful place you've ever been to in this world? Hard because there are so many. Um, Japan. I love Japan. Um, um, Hawaii has a very special place in my heart. Um, uh, South Dakota, Pine Ridge. Um, 
land there is so beautiful. Um, Berlin, Ireland. I love so many places. I think that it's so hard. We live in a very beautiful world. And honestly, the California coast is amazing. It is. It is. I agree. I, I definitely agree. Um, last question. I saw you talk uh, so wonderfully about your dad and growing up sometimes spending time with your mom and dad and realizing that those are very different worlds, that your mom's world obviously in many ways was glamorous and, and a lot more prosperous maybe than your dad's world. Um, uh, what, are your, what are your main memories from uh, spending time with your dad uh, growing up? Um, you know, he always just had just felt very eccentric you know he was always hanging out with um these sort of eccentric uh artists and and, um it was a very colorful you know um it was uh always felt sort of like an adventure i think as a kid it was so different to what i experienced at my mom's that it but um I don't know. I think that the growing up with both of those experiences really uh, helped sort of shape who I am in a very uh, fundamental way. And I that I was exposed to a lot of beauty and a lot of um, uh, fun creativity, but also the and harder things that come along with, you know, not having money and, you know, those, those things as well. So I think that, um, when you have a personal experience with things in your family, of course, that, that makes your empathy grow. And I think that, um, yeah, I just kind of had, I kind of had both, both experiences, which I think, um, has been, has, has given me this gift of sort of being able to feel comfortable in, a lot of situations. You know, I, I, there's not a lot of uh, situations I feel out of place in, and I can kind of adapt to a lot. So I feel, yeah, I feel grateful for that. Riley, I can't wait to see the set of films that you are going to make. Um, and I know you said you made the first one, and uh, and we're going to wait to see it. But something tells me this is going to be a fun decade, and we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of good work from you. I'm I'm kind of excited to see what you do, and I hope you allow yourself to be as free as, uh, as you want to be. And really, uh, you know, I think about someone like Lin-Manuel Miranda and, you know, he's allowed his storytelling to, uh, come from him at what feels like at least in a very authentic way and not to be restricted to other people's senses of how, what stories you should tell and how you should tell them. And, um, and I thought E2 Mama Tambien was another one of those that felt very much like, someone had a story to tell and told it and didn't stick to what was supposed to be told or not. And uh, by the way, it had one of the great titles of all time. It's probably a top 20 title. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward. I hope, I hope you do. I hope you, I, I know you're going to do a set of them and I'm looking forward to watching them. And uh, I hope so. I hope, I mean, I think that, you know, art like freedom and sort of artistic freedom is like a lot easier said than done sometimes. And I think that we like totally can, imprison ourselves and limit ourselves. And I'm, I'm really hoping that I can, you know, not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll have to fight for it. Um, but, but it'll be worth it. And, uh, uh, and I can tell just even by some of the films you've chosen and some of the things that you've said that you'll enjoy it more and, uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. I'm I'm looking forward to watching. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining me. It was really nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. It's very nice to be here. Yeah. And good luck with Zola and um, and um, and uh, Daisy Jane and the Six and uh, and all the other uh, good things that are uh, that are coming your way. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. Okay. Be safe. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends to find us on the iHeart Podcast app or Apple Podcasts.
Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 